In this country, we have forts. In other countries, there's forts. You guys know what a fort is, right? It's like a, a, a maybe like a city that's enclosed or a village that's enclosed with like, they, sometimes they were made of wood, sometimes they were made of stone, sometimes they were made of like brick and mortar and so forth. But, but, but these, these forts were constructed to keep an enemy out and to keep those inside safe, right? Um, the thing is this, when you look at history, most battles were not won at the fort. You know how we like to watch those movies? Like, like remember when we saw Braveheart and those and that? Where did they always meet for battle? In the fields, right? They would be like, you know, they, they would even talk about it the day before. Like, all right, we're, we're going to come over here. You're going to be on that side. I'm going to be on this side. We'll meet you here. We'll fight, right? They even talk about it sometimes. And so the fields were a place of battle. So it wasn't uh, the majority of battles were not won hiding in a fort. The majority of battles were won when you took the fight to the enemy. If you stay in the fort, you may protect yourself for a time, right? But you will never gain any ground. You will never move forward. You will just sustain yourself and keep yourself safe for a time. All you're doing is holding down the fort. For some of us that used to like to paintball, um, almost obsessively, we used to play games like that, you know, holding down the fort where, we, you know, one team, their whole purpose was to hold the fort. And the other team was to destroy that team holding the fort. And the thing is this, it's only a matter of time. I mean, you really, there's, you just can't hold it forever. You know, you can't hold it forever. One of the most famous forts in American history was, remember the all right, look at that. Got some history buffs in here. Remember the Alamo. This was where just a few brave men fought off several thousand soldiers of the Mexican army um, for about 13 days. For about 13 days, they, they, they held their ground. They stayed in that fort, and they defended that fort for, for two weeks. Though that, that, few, that few group of men that were holding on the fort were able to inflict many casualties on the Mexican army. Um, and they gave General Houston enough time to gather an army together to then go to Santa Ana and defeat them. Hence, the United States ripping Texas from the Mexican people and making it part of the United States. Amen. I got mixed emotions here. <laughs> I got mixed emotions here. I got mixed emotions. It's just history. It's just history. Uh, hey, I didn't make it. And you guys know me. I, I, I fought for this country, so I, lo I love our country, but it's just history. The thing is this. We remember these great names like Davy Crockett, right, fighting at the Alamo. We remember Jim Bowie. We remember Colonel Travis. He's not as famous as the first two, but some, a lot, some people know Colonel Travis. But what we, fail to what we fail to remind people or to talk about is that they all died at the Alamo. They all died at the Alamo. They were brave. They were heroes, but they all died in that fort. These forts remind me a lot of our churches today. 
They remind me a lot about our churches today. Now, don't get me wrong, because as, as Christian people, we need the church, right? We need the church. Um, we need these church just like the early settlers needed them, you know, for their protection. You know, as, you know we need our churches sometimes. Uh, but though sometimes it does, seem, it does seem like all we want to do is come and sit in the fort. Sometimes it just feels like we are comfortable in the fort, in these four walls. The church, this fort, is where we come when perhaps you feel outnumbered by the world and you want to congregate with your brothers and sisters. This is the fort that you come to when you're discouraged because, as the Scripture says, we're to motivate and encourage one another, right? So this is a place of encouragement and motivation. So you should come here when you feel discouraged. You know, this, uh, this fort is a place to come, to regroup, to resupply, and then get back out there and rejoin the battle on the battlefield. Um, in, in the same example of paintballing, I remember that there was times that we had to, like, gather up. You know, we, we whistle, get all the members together, like, sh- 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 all the motions, like regroup, regroup. Let's come up with another plan. Let's, let's get everybody together. And while we're doing this, fill your gun up, fill your gun up. Let's get steady. All right, now we go back out. The church is a staging ground, a staging ground preparing us for what we need to be doing. If all we do is stay in the church, <laughs> then this church is the ground that we will ever gain. Do you understand that? If we stay in this building, then this is the only ground we gain for the kingdom. Again, we don't want to end up like our heroes from the Alamo that just end up dying in the fort. You've heard the expression of Christians dying in church? Has anyone ever heard that expression? Christians that die in church? Because they're not... They're not exercising their calling. They're not serving. They're not getting engaged. They're not, uh, beca- they're, they're not um, doing or working for the kingdom of God. And before you know it, it becomes a routine to show up and sit down. Show up and sit down. What are we doing for the kingdom of God? Today, we're starting a two-part, two-part sermon. We'll do part one today, part two next week. Um, it's a series called Let's Go! Let's go. Anybody? Anybody? Who's going to go with me? All right. All right. One, two, three, four, five. All right. Let's go. Let's do it. Let's do it. And, and as, we, as we talk about this, 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 this theme of let's go, today we're going to focus on taking our position. Taking our position. You know, what are we doing for the kingdom? We can't be comfortable in our chairs once a week. If that. If that. We can't be comfortable once a week to just hear a message and then leave. You know, I love the internet because it has given us the ability to stream our services. And now, if you're watching online, and I know many of you are this morning, don't feel bad. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not thinking of anyone in particular. As my, that's my PSA, right? I'm not thinking of no, no one in particular. But this is what... Live streaming services is such a blessing because there are so many people that have health issues or are handicapped and they can't make it to the building. 
But live streaming has also created a lazy, a generation of lazy Christians. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I'm so, you know, we have, I know you guys are visiting today. <laughs> lazy Christians, and I'm going to tell you why. Because you wake up and you're like, oh, <sighs> I'll just watch you online today. Right? Uh, oh, I got to get the kids ready. Uh, we'll just watch it online. If, if you have kids, that should be their number one reason to get them up quick and come here. They need this. You need this. So anyways, anyways, we're not going to get into that. Um, but the truth is that, you know, watching it online has created this lazy generation where where there's, there's not that desire, that passion, that, that urgency, nor discipline. One thing about being in the military is that they, they instill a discipline. If you work in service like police or fire department, or there's, you know, in the military, there was a discipline. And the discipline was the core to success. The disciplining is the foundation to build upon. That discipline is going to make sure that you get up on time. That discipline is going to make sure that you keep on working even though you don't feel like working. That discipline is going to be to say, you know what, although I don't want to do this, I need to do this. That's what the discipline does. And what's happening in the modern-day church is that there is no spiritual discipline. There's no discipline. You know, it's, 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 you know, it's, a, it's a smorgasbord for us to pick from. Uh, I'll watch on this day. I'll take a little bit of this online preacher. Uh, I'll listen to this worship team. Or this. We, we, we go and we pick and pick and pick throughout the week. And we're like, oh, we good. We don't need. Okay. Uh -huh. Sorry. Sorry. Sorry, guys. So Let's Go has an outreach theme. And, and as we see, we saw CMI, uh, SMI. We, uh, the medical students, we see, we see the uh, Dorcas bags. We got VBS coming. That Sister Lee's going to give us an a, a, a intro about that uh, very soon. She's going to be letting us know about that. Um, these are all opportunities for outreach. These are all opportunities for outreach. Being a part of the Dorcas bags is outreach. Signing up for SMI is outreach. Signing up for VBS, which, by the way, I want all hands on deck. We need everyone's help. Everyone's help that week. I believe that a person's spiritual condition is actually revealed by how engaged they are in winning and impacting others for Christ. We can sing. <laughs> we can jump. We can bounce off the walls in here, Right? But at the end of the day, what really matters is whether or not you're willing to leave the comforts of these seats. And I think these seats are pretty comfortable. I enjoy sitting in these seats. They're comfortable. And if you guys were here many years ago, they're a lot more comfortable than the pews that we had in here. Right? We were mentioning that on Friday night. We were reminiscing of some of the pews, sitting in the pews, and, and they were not so comfortable. And guess what? The place was full of people sitting on uncomfortable pews. What matters now is that we're willing to leave these comfortable seats and get on the battlefield and take your position as we go to war. Which, you know, uh, without actual involvement, if we don't get involved, 
if you don't get engaged, then all this becomes just another self-help seminar, another conference, another training, and we go back home and nothing changes for the kingdom. So let's go. Let's go. Numbers, chapter 16, verse 42 to 48. 42 to 48. Thank you, Lord. As the community gathered to protest against Moses and Aaron, they turned toward the tabernacle and saw that the cloud had covered it and the glorious presence of the Lord appeared. Moses and Aaron came and stood in front of the tabernacle, and the Lord said to Moses, Get away from all these people so that I can instantly destroy them. But Moses and Aaron fell face down on the ground. And Moses said to Aaron, Quick, take an incense burner and place burning coals on it from the altar. Lay incense on it and carry it among carry it out among the people to purify them and make them right with the Lord. The Lord's anger is blazing against them. The plague has already begun. Aaron did as Moses told him and ran out among the people. He positioned himself. The plague had already begun to strike down the people, but Aaron burned the incense and purified the people. He stood between the dead and the living, and the plague stopped. If you ever played sports, you guys understand that being in the right position is crucial to your team winning the game. I don't like baseball at all. I went with the men to watch a baseball game because I was just going to talk to them the whole time. Even with the heads up, some of them were like, oh, you still going to talk? I'm like, yes, I'm talking. I didn't come to watch a game. I came to hang out with you guys. But if the first baseman, right, isn't standing on first base and they hit the ball, and they throw the ball to first base like they use, they go straight to first base, right? Then what happens? It's an error, and now it, it could be like a double or a triple when it should have just been an out. Does that sound good for those baseball players? All right. Almost, almost got it. Almost got it. All right, football, right? You got the offensive line, right? And the offensive line has a job to do. They got to protect the quarterback, and they got to make holes for the running back, right? And if the offensive line is in the right position at the right time doing the right thing, the quarterback doesn't get hit, and the running back runs a decent amount of yards. I know, I know football. I can do football. can't do baseball. Positioning is important. It's important to be in the right position. It's the same thing applies in a war. We know that having soldiers in the right places at the right time is crucial in winning a battle. Today I want to talk about you taking a position. You taking a position, taking your rightful position that is essential if we want to have an impact for the kingdom in our community. Do we want that? Do we want that? Now, before we can talk about that position i got to establish first a couple facts based on the Scripture. So let's turn to Romans chapter 6, verse 11. 
Romans chapter 6, verse 11 says, So you also should consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. So first, the first fact is, let's talk about being alive. According to the Word of God, there are two types of individuals on earth today. There are those who are alive and there are those who are dead. There are those who are alive because they have a relationship with Christ. And then there are those who are dead due to their sins. Church, there's no, there's no in-between here. Do you understand this? Like, you know, in-between would be like the walking dead, like, you know, zombies and stuff like that. But we don't, we, we, that's, not, that's not the case here. <laughs> you're either dead or you're alive. You're either dead or alive. If you are here this morning and you've accepted Christ into your heart as your personal Lord and Savior, then guess what? You're alive. If you're sitting here today and you have yet to make that decision to accept Christ as Lord and Savior of all, then although you may be breathing, although you may be walking, although your health is okay, you are dead. You are dead. Just because you show up to church on Sunday doesn't make, doesn't, doesn't make you alive any more than standing in a garage will make you a Corvette. Do you guys get that? Coming to church on Sunday and sitting here doesn't make you any more alive than if you were... St- then standing in a garage makes you a Corvette. The only path that brings you to life is a true encounter with Christ Jesus. Amen? A true encounter with Christ Jesus. So, as you go throughout your days, as you are at work, or as you are in the neighborhood, as you go to birthday parties or you go to the beach or whatever the summer brings, right? You have to understand that you're going to be encountering as you walk by people, people that are alive and people that are dead. And identifying this is important so that you may take your position. The second fact is that we need to understand that there is a plague out here. There's a plague out here killing people. And that plague It's called, all right, sin. It's called sin. John 10.10 says, uh, the thief's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. We don't have to figure out why we have an enemy and what his goals are. The Bible gives us the heads up. Satan's purpose, his, his, his desire is to kill, is to steal, is to destroy. And like it or not, because I know some people don't like referring this. I, I don't even like, you know, you know, we don't want to give the devil any props, right? But the reality is this. Like it or not, he's good at what he does. He's good at what he does. He's good at stealing. He's good at killing. He's good at destroying. And we see this every day as you turn on the news. You look into your own lives and families, 
You go on the internet and you see the havoc that the enemy is bringing to this world. Look at the marriages that are suffering, being destroyed. God's not destroying those marriages, right? God's not destroying families. God's not, God's not doing these things. It's our enemy that's doing this. And again, he's doing this. He's been doing this for a long time. And you know what? He's good at it. He can't defeat God. We have the victory over it, holding on to God. But sometimes, sometimes people let go of God. Sometimes people let go. So when I say let's go, I'm not talking about let go. All right? I'm talking about let's go out, but not let go of God. When you see people, when you see people in and out of the church upset because it's getting harder to kill babies, when you see people in and out of the church, they get angry that it's getting harder to kill babies, there's a plague. There's a plague. When you see that people are fighting to make pedophilia acceptable as an acceptable lifestyle, there's a plague. When you see that the LGBTQ community is fighting to make all types of perversions acceptable as alternative lifestyles, there's a plague. When you see people so tormented by pain and depression that they will walk into a school and start shooting children, killing children, there is a plague. When you see churches that allow all acts of immorality because they are more concerned about the numbers of people in their seats, than saving souls for the kingdom, there is a plague. There's a plague in this world that we live in. It's spreading. It's claiming lives. It's causing casualties. This is a fact, and the reality is that we just can't ignore it. We can't ignore it. You do know that if you know something and do nothing about it, you're guilty of doing that something. You guys know that, right? I know we grow up in the hood, stitches get stitches, and we don't say nothing. You know, we turn the other way. You know, it's not, but, but I'm going to tell you something. When you know what's right, and you see wrong, and you stay quiet, that blood is on your hands as well. So talking about our position. You know, this, first of all, understanding that this plague is real, understanding that this exists, understanding all the stuff. I mean, listen, I had, to, I had a list of like 25 things. I, I, I narrowed it down to one, two, three, four, five, because if not, we'd be here longer, because I would sidetrack into each thing probably. Knowing that all these things are just a reflection of the plague that, that is among us, should, it should cause a, a, an urgency in us 
As followers and disciples of Christ, it should cause an urgency, a passion in us to go and take our positions. There's a position that we each need to fill in order for us to, do the, to address the plague before us. Everyone has a role to play, right? Everyone has a role to play. When we used to do our, our, our runs in the, in the military, I mean, we used to send the squads out for a night, a, a night patrol or something like that, you, have, you always have the radio guy, right? The radio guy in the squad. You got the point, the point guy, the very guy, the guy in the front. You have uh, individuals that are assigned to look at the left flank and individuals assigned to look at the right flank. You have an individual assigned to make sure that no one's coming from the back. Everyone has a role to play. Everyone has a position. We can't all be quarterbacks, right? Everybody want to be the quarterback. We, all, we can't all be quarterbacks. We can't all be running backs. We need defensive ends. We need, we need, we need the D-line and the O-line, and those are the ones people are like, ah, all I got to do is block. There's a position for everyone, and each one is vital to the success of spreading the gospel. The problem is, can I tell you what the problem is? <laughs> the problem is that uh, we want results without the requirements. So let me talk about that for a minute. Can I talk about that for a minute? All right. Um, notice that in our passage that we opened up with, when God told Moses and Aaron what he was about to do, which, by the way, you read this, and you're like, did Moses disobey God? I mean, that's, that's a, that, those are campfire discussions. You know, we sit around the campfire, we talk about those things like that, because, you know, it was just discussions, you know, because God did tell him what to do, and he ended up doing something else. But anyways, anyways, so, so Moses, he throws himself at the feet of God, right? He throws himself on, you know, he gets down on his knees, Aaron too. If you notice that when before anything happened, before Moses and Aaron could do anything about the plague, they first fell on their faces before God. They received an anointing. Before we can take our positions, we must, too, become supernaturally empowered to do so. Can we talk about that? Acts 1.8 says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. The soup, this supernatural empowerment that we're reading about, it comes through the Holy Spirit. It comes through the Holy Spirit. Many of us want to see results. Because, you know, inside we're good people. We want people to love God. We want people to get saved, right? We want that. Yet, we do nothing to seek the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Okay, maybe, maybe they didn't hear it. Many of us want to see results, right? But we do nothing to seek the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Give me something. All right. Like a ooh, ah, this is something. We come to church. And some barely participate in worship, which I don't get it. You know what worship is, right? Do you know what worship is? It's, it's giving a God that, that, that is beyond anything we could ever imagine. 
an amazing, sovereign, powerful, almighty God, giving him just glory and worshiping him for who he is. Anyways, that should be the loudest part of the service. Let's go. We fight to stay awake through the message. Man, Pastor Vince, it's already been 30 minutes. And I'll be like, 29 minutes and 7 seconds. <laughs> we make no efforts to participate in corporate prayer throughout the week. We, know, we make no efforts to take out our cell phones on Thursday night and log into a Zoom classroom that can be done from anywhere in the world to study the Word of God. Y'all already know. Y'all know how I feel about that. Y'all already know how I feel about that. Because we're too busy. We got too much going on. Yet, we want to go out and win the world for Christ, and then we're like, why is it not happening? Why are people not getting, you know, why did, why did not, you know, receiving the, the word, why, why are people not getting saved? We read how Peter won 3,000 souls, right, for Christ in one moment. And we think, Peter can do it. I can do it too. We want to go out and conquer the world for Christ. That's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. We should all desire that. But remember, there's a preparation that comes before that. The problem is that he prayed for three days, preached for maybe three minutes, and won 3,000 souls, while we can barely pray for three minutes. We preach for three days, and then we sit and wonder why no one's coming to Christ. Come on, church. We're all guilty. I'm guilty. We're all guilty. This is not, this is not like you know, for you to feel condemned, but to shine light on the reality of the situation. Because church, before revival can sweep in, before you can experience a supernatural move of God, these are the areas that need to be illuminated so that we can deal with it, that we can change it, that we can fix it. That we, could, that we can be like, you know what, maybe I didn't pray, but now I'm going to pray. Maybe I wasn't preparing, but now I'm going to prepare. Maybe I wasn't studying, but now I'm going to study. This is the reason why we do this, okay? All right? Before we can go to war, again, this is a spiritual war, we need to first stop, get trained, right? Learn how to use the weapons. <laughs> you guys seen those video clips of people walking? with? A, there's this one video clip of a guy in the, in the range. He's trying to instruct them how to use the gun. He's like, you stand like this, you know, blah, blah, this and that. And, this, and as he's talking, the gun goes off, bam, and it hits him in the face. And they're like, did you mean to do that? I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, I meant to do that. I meant to like, no, you didn't. No, you didn't. You weren't even looking down range when the gun went off. That's a hilarious clip. You need to learn how to use the weapon. And what, are, what is our weapon? It's the word of God. Now, you don't need to memorize the entire book to go and witness and testify to others, but you need to have a solid foundation of what the gospel is. Do you understand? You need to know what is the gospel. Who is Jesus? Why is he here? Why did he come? Why did he die? 
We need to understand these things, which is found in the Word of God, so that we can go out and use that weapon in this war. We need to get trained. We need to get armed. We need to get anointed by the Holy Spirit, empowered by the Holy Spirit. We need to spend the necessary time seeking the Lord, preparing ourselves for battle. Knowledge alone don't get it done. Now, so so this this is what I mean by that. Because there are some people that know the Bible better than me. There are a lot of people that know the Bible better than me. And because they know the Bible better than most people, they feel like they're good. But yet, you never see them congregate. You never see them serving. You never seeing them attach themselves to a family of believers, right? Because they know already. They know the word. They don't need nobody. If you know the word, then you know that we're not supposed to be alone in this, right? Well, anyway, so knowledge alone doesn't get the job done. When I, when I, was, when I was writing this, it reminded me of, of when I was active duty in Marines. It reminded me that when I was in active duty, it was my daily life. I woke up, I went into work, but you know what work was? Work was training. Like, that was my life. I woke up, I trained, I ate lunch. I trained, I went home, I slept, I woke up, I trained. I mean, for five years straight, your life is that. That's all you do every day. You, you are working, and all your work is preparation for battle. So we would feel some type of way when the reservists would come into town. <laughs> because the reservists, listen, we need the reservists, right? We do, we do, we do, we do. But reservists have the wisdom. They've been trained. They have the the knowledge, right? But what reservists lack is the everyday practicality. And so the idea of the reserve system makes sense on paper, but it causes liabilities in combat. Because what happens is you take someone who's a lawyer, a doctor, right? you know, here in, in, in the world, and they train once a weekend, one weekend a month, and they get the knowledge. They get the knowledge. So they understand, but they don't get the hands-on on a daily basis. Now you go into a battlefield, right? And those that have trained every day feel like they need to protect those that are not ready for this. And so now it's, it's a liability because I'm trying to... I'm trying to Move forward, I'm trying to defend myself, and now I'm also defending these people as well. So what's our position? Our position is the same position that Moses instructed Aaron to do. We are to stand between the living and the dead to stop the plague. That's our role, church. That's where we're supposed to be. We should be acting as a bridge between those who are already alive in Christ and those who are dead in their sins, so that they too can cross over. Ezekiel twenty-two thirty says, I looked for someone who might rebuild the wall of righteousness that guards the land. I searched for someone to stand the gap in the wall so I wouldn't have to destroy the land, but I found no one. You know, every time I read that verse, I don't remember all the sermons that I, I preach, right? But I remember preaching on that sermon, on that verse here for Pastor's Day, for, Oliver, for Pastor Oliver one, one year. 
um, because there's very few people that will stand in the gap. But that's what we need. We need more and more people standing in the gap. God is searching for a man. He's searching for a woman to stand in the gap, but I found no one. Why? Because we're not in position. If you were in position, he'd be like, oh, yeah, there he is standing in the gap. You know, there's Manny standing in the gap. There's Jose standing in the gap. There's Oneida. You know, there's Irvin. There, you know, you know, we can see if we are in position. Now, the challenge is that we have the tendency to put it, our, all our strength and efforts into huddling up <laughs> with those. I, I need to change something. I need to not be so rough here. I'll I, I water it down a little bit maybe. Is that what, maybe I don't want to hurt nobody's feelings. The challenge is that we, need to, we have the tendency to put all our strength and efforts into huddling up with those who are alive to survive the plague. So there's a plague outside. So let's all stay in here. Lock the door, Miguel. Lock the door. So that we don't die of this plague. And we end up staying huddled in. Buckled down in the fort. Moses instructed Aaron to run into the midst of the plague. All right, so my students, you guys are you guys are in the midst of it, and they're not even from here. What Tennessee, um, George, uh, Sam is from Colorado, San Jose, and I forgot my. Okay. She goes to school here, but she don't hang out in this neighborhood. <laughs> they definitely are in the midst of the plague. And you guys can sign up. There's some spots there that you can join them in the midst of the plague. He was sent to go and get right in the, in the middle of the mess, right in it to get as close as possible to those who are sick. Some of y'all are like, not me. So that you can do something about it. So what's happening in many churches today is that people, you know, we, we drive through the plague. Right? We drive to the plague, through the plague to get inside the building, to get inside our forts. And some churches are more focused on building and expanding their forts than going out amongst the plague. Let's go! Our instructions are clear. Our instructions are clear. We got to run to the dying. We got to run to the dying. You know, we're not supposed to buckle down our forts and stay in here because guess what? If they die, then we die. And I'm going to tell you why. Because we have family. We have friends lost. We have family members lost. We have neighbors that are lost. And if we never leave the forts, then they die. Our, 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 our opening passage, right, the plague said that it stopped once Aaron stood in the, like, stood in the middle, right? When, like, it was like what I imagined in my head, when I, you know how I played a movie in my head, was like there was a bunch of people, and it was like all of a sudden they started dying. So the like, people sitting in the back, y'all die first. This is what happens. The people sitting in the back, y'all die first. And then they were like dying and then dying and then dying. And then, Mo, and then Aaron ran out, and he stood in between. And, and that right where he stood, that's the last, like it stopped right there. It stopped right there. It stopped where he took his position. But if you read the next verse, 
it said that when he took his, by the time he took his position, 14,700 people had already died from the plague. It makes you wonder how many people have already died of the plague while we are figuring out when it's a comfortable time to leave the fort. When we think about maybe I'll go, maybe I won't, maybe I'll do this, maybe I'll serve, maybe I won't, maybe I'll volunteer, maybe I won't. How many people are dying while you are waiting to make your decision? While we're huddled up with the living, how many people have died? We have a tendency to think that uh, all we got to do is get our family, lock them in, and protect our family, right, to survive. But church, there was only one ark. There was only one ark. (laughs) And those instructions were given to Noah. They weren't given to you. Noah was the only person that was instructed to take his family, lock themselves in there to survive. Who, who, anybody, anybody Noah in here? Any Noah's in here? We're not, we're not Noah. Those instructions were not given to us. Our attitude has become an attitude of putting self first. Let me sit in the safety of the ark with the living while I wait for the dead to come to us. They know where we're at. They know what we have. They know that we'll help them. I mean, that's the truth. As a church, we know if anybody comes into that door, we're going to help them. If anyone comes to us, we're going to be there for them. And that's how, we, that's how we continue to be. But it's almost an attitude of we'll just sit here and be comfortable while we wait for them to come to us. If they get desperate enough, they'll start coming to us. When they're starving enough, they'll come for the spiritual food that we have an abundance of inside these doors. So a woman, right, she went to a pet store. She went to a pet store, and um, she bought a parrot because she was lonely. And she took the parrot home. The next day, she went back to the pet store. She's like, yo, man, I bought this parrot, and the parrot's not speaking. You know, you guys, you guys jipped me or something, right? And the, store, the, the guy at the store was like, well, does the parrot have a mirror? Because, you know, usually birds, they like to look at each other. If they look at each other, he's going to think there's another bird, and they'll start talking. So she buys the mirror, goes back home. Next day, he comes back. Yo, I bought the mirror. I put the mirror in there. Still not talking. He's like, uh, do you have a little ladder? You know, a little ladder. That, you know, they like to walk up and down the ladder. And if they walk up and down the ladder, the parrot will be happy. And if the parrot's happy, it'll talk. So she bought the ladder. Went back home. Put the ladder in the cage. Rap, the parrot's like walking up the ladder, but still no talking. She goes back the next day. Yo, I'm getting kind of tired coming back here. Still not talking. It's like, does, does the parrot have a swing? You know, they have a little swing. You know, you know, he'll start to sing and he'll start to talk. So she bought him a little swing. Went back, <laughs> put it in the cage. <laughs> Still nothing. Next day, she's back at the store and she's angry because the parrot has died. The pet store worker was confused and concerned. And he said, I'm sorry to hear that. I'm sorry to hear that. But did the, did the parrot ever say anything before he died? <laughs> she said, yes, he did. He said, don't they sell any food at that place? <laughs> In this case, the problem, <laughs> the problem was not the quality of food. The problem was the location of the food. 
She had bought everything from the pet store minus the food. So the food was not with the parrot. The food never left the pet store, and the bird became malnourished and, and died, starved to death. We sit surrounded by food, right? Sermons, teachings, Bible studies, seminars, conferences, yet there are still those outside the four that are dying. They don't need the next big event. They don't need the next big concert. They don't need the events. They need food. In the meantime, those seated comfortably within the fort (laughs) complain about the way the food is cooked and complain about the way the food is served and become food critics. Sermon is too long. Sermon is too short. The teaching is too deep. The teaching is not deep enough. The service is too modern, or the service is too traditional. The, ser- the music is too loud, or the music is not loud enough. Come on, church, don't act like y'all don't know what I'm talking about. Don't act like you don't know. <laughs> y'all know exactly what I'm talking about. The purpose for us to get fill full on our spiritual food that we receive here so that we can go out and focus our time and energy on, not on criticizing. The, the reason why we eat and get full is not so that we can spend our time criticizing and focusing on all the negative things about the food, right? But it's to grow strong enough to go and get empowered to then take our position, stand in the gap between the dead and the living, to bring this food to those that are dying and starving. In closing, in closing I want to I say this. The reality is that we just, we just can't come to church Sunday after Sunday to celebrate that you've been set free from sin. That's a good thing. That's a good thing. But I want you to hear me out. We can't be okay. We can't be satisfied with just coming here every Sunday celebrating the fact that we have been set free from sin. In fact, because you know that you were once a slave to sin and now you are set free and you are no longer a slave to sin, it should ignite within you a passion to desire that others too are set free. Does that make sense? Does that make sense to you guys? I know it's easier. I know it's easier to buckle down within these walls especially in the summertime because it's nice and cold in here, right? It's, it's easy. It's easy to stay in here. It's comfortable. You know, it, you know, it's comfortable to hang out with those who act like you, to those who think like you, those who live like you. But it's time to get out of your comfort zones and stand between the living and the dead. We need to stop the plague. We need to stop waiting for them to come to you. Church, enough with the spiritual laziness. It's time to work. It's time to truly seek God, to seek the Holy Spirit, to seek the the, the, the empowerment of the Holy Spirit in your life. So this morning, 
I want to do a call this morning. First, most, first and always first, if you're sitting here today and you're realizing, man, I, I thought I was okay, I thought my life was fine, but you mentioned that if I didn't accept Christ, I'm dead inside, and I don't want to be dead inside. I want to be alive, and I want to accept Christ as my Lord and Savior. Then the call is for you first, and we, accept, we, we open the altar. We invite you to come up. Don't hesitate. The Bible says that today is the day of salvation for your life. Today is that day. If you have not accepted Christ into your life, you know what? You get up and you run down here so we can pray for you. The second calling is for those that we've, we've already made that decision. We, we, we are followers of Christ, but you know what? Maybe I'm not as disciplined as I thought I was. Maybe I may not be prioritizing the things the way I need to. Maybe I've been comfortable inside the walls of the fort. And, and maybe I don't know. I mean, look at Sister Beth. She said it was her first time. And this is not Beth's first service here. She's been here since 94. But I bet you this, if back in 95 you would have done this, every year you would have been out, you would have been doing this every day. But you know what? The good thing is, she's done it now. And when the opportunity comes again, she'll do it again. And some of us have a decision to make and says, are we gonna make that decision now? To step out of our fears. To step beyond what we think are our limitations. Today is a day that we overcome fear in our lives. So that we can get out amongst those that are plagued. And that we can save them for the kingdom.